Let me tell you an easy way to get even more content related to topics discussed on Leading Saints, like how to run a meeting or how to effectively motivate those you lead. We have a core leader community for everyone who donates on a recurring basis. These core leader funds are what helps fund our mission so that we can continue to make remarkable content for all of you. Once you become a recurring donor at leadingsaints.org donate, you can download the Core Leader Library app and then you can start watching the Meetings with Saints library. Seriously, check out Stephen Rogelberg's presentation about the science of meetings and it will change your council meeting experience for the better. Again, help us fund Leading Saints going forward by becoming a core leader and then jump into the core leader library and enjoy 100 plus hours of additional leadership content. You can go to leadingsaints.org donate or simply text the word lead to 474747. The following episode is a throwback episode, one that was published previously and was extremely popular. To see the details of when this was originally published, see the show notes. Enjoy this throwback episode. Today, I'm in the dental office, but not in the dentist chair, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> With Rob Farrell, Dr. Rob Farrell, right? And uh, what, what kind of dentist are you? I'm a periodontist, so a dental surgeon. Sounds like a dinosaur. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now, I am. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not the best place to start, but... Uh, and so, you don't do the, the typical dental checkups or... No, so I'm all... 95% of what I do is surgery. Oh, okay. So, take teeth out, place implants, just a lot of that stuff that no one really wants to do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But you different, I mean, the sort of the joke is like every Latter-day Saint boy becomes a dentist and moves to Utah and tries to <laughs> succeed. Right. So, so did you differentiate yourself by heading down this path? Yeah. Yeah. So as a specialist, it's a little different. There's not very many periodontists in the state. So it's kind of a unique nice. place. And, and uh, we're I'm a California guy who came to Utah. So oh, I don't cool. know how that worked with. Yeah. What part of California? I grew up in the Bay area. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So a little cheaper here to, to yeah, live little, and raise a family. Yeah. And so do you live here in Ogden then? Or? I live in Mountain Green, just right up the mountains here. Okay. 15 minutes from Ogden. So is your wife from Utah? Is, did she She's from American here? Fork. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Now you've also had experience serving as a young single adult stake president, which we'll talk about. What, uh, what do you remember about that, that call coming to you? So I got called. I was serving as a young single adult bishop when I was okay. called. And this was probably, how long ago was that? That was probably seven, eight years ago where they, along the Wasatch Front, decided to call all of these new young single adult stake presidencies, Oh yeah, where it was more going to be based on geographical boundaries. So I think they called 17 stake presidencies along the Wasatch Front at the same time. So it was unique in the fact that we were forming a brand new young single adult stake. Mm -hmm. So there was no protocol for this because it was a non-college stake. So pretty new territory. And you know, I was called and had to find 12 high counselors in my area. We had 21 stakes, 22 stakes that I think funneled into my, uh -huh. my stake. You know, I don't know any of those 22 stakes. I had to find high counselors. I had to find my own counselors. I had to find Relief Society presidency. So it was a very unique opportunity to start a yeah. stake from scratch and then not really having a lot of counsel on how to start the stake. Yeah. It was just a couple of ideas <laughs> and go see how this is going to work. Yeah. 
So we had a lot of trial and error. And so, so what's the process of finding like CAD counselors even or counselors for yourself? Do they do you have to pick within a geographic area or? Yeah. So the boundaries of our state, okay. to, which were pretty large boundaries. But then you you can venture out. Obviously, there's multiple you know traditional ward or stakes. Yeah. And so, how do you how do you become familiar with those people? Or so I'd call a stake all the stake presidents and say, "Here's what I'm looking for. I need oh, okay. a bishop. I need counselors. I need a high council." And they would send people to us to, to interview. Okay. And the tricky part of that is a lot of those stake presidents didn't really know exactly what we were looking for. Yeah. So when I would call, for example, a high counselor or a bishop, we probably interviewed anywhere from 10 to 20 people to find the right fit for that calling. So we nice. did a lot of... So even though you interviewed someone, it didn't mean you, you were extending yeah, a calling. Yeah, which was really awkward. Yeah. So you'd call someone <laughs> and have kind of a get to know you interview and then not sure if this is going to turn out to a calling or not. Uh-huh. And that was just always an awkward interview wow. to have. So how long did that process take to start up a, a YSA stake? So I was called about a month before they organized the stake. Wow. So it's busy time. So you and your counselors just put your heads down and, and yeah. got to work. Yeah. <laughs> put yeah. on your revelation cap yeah. and away you went. Wow, that's interesting. So, and then as a bishop of YSA, Bishop, how long did you serve in that role before so you were called? I was five years there. Oh, or, okay. I'm sorry, three years there. Okay. And about three and a half years, and then about five and a half years as stake president. And that's pretty traditional. I, I think it's across the whole church that YSA bishops are three years, right. stake presidents are right. five. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think as you're so busy. Yeah. And so was it a shock when you were called as a bishop in, in the YSA? Did that come out of nowhere? Yeah. At the time, we had seven kids and we had a young family. And when I was called, my wife was pregnant with our eighth child. Oh my goodness. And I thought, there's no way we get called to be a yeah. young single adult bishop because we, I'll tell you, that was the greatest calling I've ever had in my life. It, not just for me, but it was phenomenal experience for my family. But we had a young family. So we blessed two babies in the young single adult ward when we <laughs> wow. were the bishop. And it was wonderful to see those young adults love yeah. my family. And prior to that, did you serve in various capacities in your family ward? Yeah, I've served kind of all over the place. I've been Elder's Quorum president a couple of times, uh-huh. and president a couple of times, high counselor. So, nice. Yeah. And from all this experience of serving as a bishop and as, as a stake president, you have now been presenting at Education Week at BYU. Is the last few years? Yeah. So last two years, this will be the third year this summer that I'll be, be teaching there. And wow, there's a real need for this topic of young adults. Is that what encouraged you to apply to, to teach yeah. them? Yeah, because I feel like I feel like this generation gets really a bad rap mm-hmm. in the church, definitely outside of the church. So I really feel like I'm an advocate for this generation. I see so many wonderful, incredible things that are going on. And so that's why I decided to go to talk to Education Week, because I was hearing so many negative things about this rising generation. I wanted to maybe show another side to that. And the first year I went to Education Week, you know, nobody knows me. I'm just a, a new face and a new name. And yet my class was packed and, and I don't, not, nothing to do with me. Right. It was, it was the, the topic. topic. Yeah. And, and that really hit me that, wow, people are really worried about this rising generation. What do we do? So that's a big concern of mine because I think we, we are seeing quite a shift in this generation leaving organized religion. And it's not just our faith. That's across the board in Christianity in the United States. And what do we do about that? You know, what's the best way to help with that? Yeah. Were there typical, I mean, was it, was a lot of parents that were in in that? Yeah. So education week, you know, your, your typical attendee from education week is probably a middle-aged mom. Yeah. And so, you know, there's some men, but that's predominantly what it is. I would have some young adults come to the class Mm -hmm. 
And, and what I loved about that is I'd have these young adults come up afterwards and, and thank me for being an advocate, you yeah. know, for showing a different side to what's going on and to talk about ways that we can really, that my generation can really connect with the, what they call the millennial generation. Yeah. And there's a big gap there. Mm-hmm. And there's a big struggle in, in priesthood leadership. There's a pretty big gap in knowing how to connect with this generation. Parentally, I think there's a pretty large gap there as well. So people are a little desperate on yeah. what to do. So when you talk about advocacy, what are the stigmas that you're all, always trying to battle when it comes to that generation? Yeah, young single you know, it's just that entitled, lazy, you know, they're not hardworking. Non-social. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Addicted to social media. I don't know if I hear that one more time, you know, it's... <laughs> It's kind of, I heard someone once say, it's kind of like telling a baby boomer that they're addicted to electricity. You know, th- this is just, <laughs> this is the culture we're living in. Yeah. This is reality, right? Yeah. And, but yeah, they, they get that a lot. They want instant gratification. They're not willing to sacrifice, pay a price. You know, just the list goes on and on and on. And I think outside of the church, there's a real problem, I think, with what the millennial generation is perceived as. But I think quietly, there's that issue with, with, uh, in the church. I would talk to young adults, you know, on a regular basis as a stake president. And I do now do lots of firesides and things like that. And I'll always ask that age group, what do you think the generation above you thinks about you? Negative, positive, neutral. Every single time it's negative. Hmm. Never do I get, oh, positive, awesome. You know, it's yeah. always negative. Yeah. And perception's reality, regardless if that's yeah. true or not. Right. Perception's yeah. reality. Yeah. So, wow. I think. Sometimes, you know, how we use the gospel to maybe, I'm a strong believer that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not lose people. What loses people is the culture, the tradition, the false doctrine, the application. And that's the stuff that we got to start changing because this generation just won't play that game. Yeah. Uh, You know, manipulation, shame, all of that stuff. And so we need to change our approach. And sometimes when I talk like that, people think, I'm talking doctrinally, we need to change. Right, yeah. It's not what I'm talking about. No, not it's, at just, all. it's the approach on what we're going to do to really learn how to connect. Yeah. And from Education Week, you know, obviously people have become more familiar with you and, and you know, speaking around the young single adult that you've been asked to speak, whether it's a fireside or a group of, of leaders or people starting up YSA stakes or uh, wards. And, uh, and this is the type of thing that you see, you mentioned before we hit record that uh, you see people just trying to reinvent the will again, which is, which is difficult. So if, if you were to stand in front of a new a group of leaders trying to start a YSA, like where would you start with them? Well, I just had that opportunity. So I went back east and I went to also to another spot in the south where they brought me out to kind of just talk to the leaders and the people that were involved with trying to put together a young adult program. And it was really actually quite sad to me that we just call people and throw them into it and just go try to figure it out where this is why I love what you're doing with these podcasts, because where else do people go to try to get ideas and who do they call and contact? And, and I went out to visit and kind of gave some ideas and they were just so hungry for anything yeah. to start with. And fundamentally what needs to happen is I think the first thing is you need a really strong organizational structure because most of the wards and the stakes when it comes to young adults aren't really aware of the problem, you know, and where I was the stake president in Syracuse, so that's Northern Utah. You know, this is the heart of the church. We had about a 25% activity rate mm. and that we didn't even have records of all the young adults in our area. So we had about 4,500 records in, in our stake. There were about 8,000 young single adults in our boundaries. If we would have had all of those records, I guarantee it'd be less than 25%. Yeah. 
And I was in a meeting and a coordinating council meeting with a group of stake presidents and a, a visiting general authority was going around the room and asking us what our activity rate was. And he came to me and I said, well, we're about 25%. And he said, oh, no way. I said, yeah. And we have about 30% inactivity rate amongst return missionaries. And so I was surprised it was high or low. It was surprised it was that low. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then so I think that's the problem is we don't really know how big the problem is. And I know I'm biased, but I personally think this is probably the greatest challenge the church is facing right now because this generation is leaving at a very quick pace. Yeah. And there are many reasons why we can talk about that later on. But so I think primarily the first thing people have to do if they're going to get some kind of a program together is they have to have priesthood keys and leadership that are behind the program. Hmm. So if I'm in, you know, Alabama or wherever, and someone's called to start a young single adult program in the area, there's no keys, right? Who do they report to? And so the challenge is they go to all these stakes and all these bishops who are busy and swamped, and they want to try to start this young single adult program. And it's really hard to get that off the ground. So what do you mean there's there's no keys? Obviously, the state president's ordained with keys, but what do you mean by that? Well, they, they have a calling, like they, they'll call them a nurturing couple or a young single adult oh, okay. couple that's going to be over an area. And they're just told, we want you to put together a young single adult program. Oh, right? okay. So they start activities, you know, outside of Utah where maybe their groups aren't as large. And they're trying to get the support of the home bishops and the home state presidents. Gotcha. And now when they go outside of whoever called them, so there might be a stake president, or sometimes there's an area 70 that will call them. So they're responsible for multiple stakes. But now you have somebody just who, Joe Schmo calling bishops <laughs> and stake presidents saying, we need your help and support. Yeah. And with the they don't adults. know who they are really. Yeah. And, and they're yeah. like, okay, I got 10,000 things on my plate right now. And this is one more person coming to talk to me about one more thing. Yeah. It's not a very effective way to start a young single adult program. And yet that's the most common way. Uh-huh. So what you really need is you need an area 70 who, if they want a program, has to sit down with a coordinating council with all the stake presidents in the area and say, this is the Young Single Adult Program. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to be doing. Here's the contact people that are going to be involved in this. Eventually, we want to get a ward going here for young adults. And I need all you stake presidents to get in line mm-hmm. and follow this program because now they're following priesthood keys. Gotcha. Instead it's of a directive. Instead of Kurt and Rob showing up and they don't even know who we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we know that's important and we want to support that, but we're swamped. Gotcha. But when it comes through the, the hierarchy of the church, yeah. it's going to be a lot more effective. And it's organized and here's some direction. Right. Here's what to focus right. on. And, Instead and, of just calling someone and throwing them out there. And yeah. it's even true in, a, in a, just a regular stake. If the stake president doesn't have all the bishops saying, here's the program, here's how we're going to align with this program. Yeah. Then nothing, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, yeah. So it gets frustrating for those that are trying to put together a program. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because obviously, you know, me being in my Utah bubble, I don't realize you know, because we have so much, uh, so many numbers that, you know, you can just create a ward and you have support there. But outside where it's sort of the young single adult program starts as a program, not as a ward. Right. And so it's within various stakes. You call a few people to go around and hopefully yeah. stimulate this to happen. And that's where priesthood keys are crucial to. Right. But even, out to even in Utah. So here's, the, here's okay. something we don't even think about. In the young single adult world, when do priesthood keys overlap? If you have two stakes that are next to each other, there's no overlapping of keys there, right? So the next, the next line is the area 70. Yeah. Well, when you have a young single adult ward or mm, a young yeah. single adult stake, I have keys and so do the 20 stake presidents that I'm working with and we're overlapping keys. So you can see there's a little bit of a, an awkwardness and a challenge there that almost can sometimes turn into a little competition. 
you know, the young adult program is stealing the young adults from us. And we need the return missionaries in our ward to help with the youth. Or once again, that's President Farrell's, you know, stake over there. But when an Area 70 says, oh, no, 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 here's the program and we need you stake president supporting it. Yeah. Then you really will find that you'd be surprised in Utah how much of a challenge that nice. is. Because it really is. And I remember being that family ward bishop where all of a sudden these records show up and I'm like, what, what is this? You right. know? And it's almost this passive aggressive battle between right. the YSA stakes and the, the family ward stakes, right? And Which it, is sad because it yeah. should be, we should be collaborating together because in a home ward or a home stake, who really is working with those young adults? Who's really trying to find them, work with them, all that kind of stuff. You ask a typical bishop and stake president, my experience is they don't know the numbers. They don't know how many young adults they have. They don't know what the activity rate of those young adults are. They're a group that can disappear really fast. Yeah. And so who's tracking that? Right. Who's on top of that? So if, I, if you were a home bishop and I come in as a young single adult bishop or young single adult stake president or a young single adult advisor outside of Utah is trying to create something, why would you not want to say, Here's every young single adult in my ward. How do we collaborate? How do we work together? Because you're right. We got to figure out how to, yeah. how to help these young single adults. Yeah, because you, you do need some type of ground rules, right? And, and again, it helps when they come through priesthood keys in that direction. Because I just know that there's almost like the YSA bishop can say, okay, we haven't seen this group of single adults for a while. Let's dump them into the family ward. Or the family ward bishop says, all right, we haven't seen this group of young single adults. Let's dump them on, in the YSA ward. And it's just this digital battle that's right, going back yeah. and forth, right? And then that, I think, gets to the whole vision of the Young Single Adult Program, which should really be based on rescuing young single adults. And young single adults, what I think is interesting is studies will show us that they are more likely to turn to, to lateral mentors than they are vertical mentors. Mm-hmm. So that pure influence is pretty significant with this generation. So that's why the Young Single Adult Program is so effective, because if some 50-year-old guy like me is out knocking doors trying to invite young adults to an activity or a program or something like that, yeah. they're bolting out the back door. And, yeah. and unless I was their young men's president or I had some kind of personal connection mm-hmm. with them, which isn't going to happen most of the time, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you could create a situation where young adults were helping rescue other young adults, imagine a home bishop having a return missionary come into his ward and say, Bishop, Kurt, you have 25 young adults in your ward, and we have visited all 25 of these young adults, and here's the status of those 25 young adults, and five of them want to attend this ward, and the other ones we're going to still continue to invite to activities, and 10 of them are inactive. And could you imagine as a bishop yeah. having a return missionary come in and help you get control of what's yeah. happening with those and, young and adults? And that return missionary would be representing the YSA? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be powerful right. building of a bridge to bring the two different priesthood keys that are overlapping yeah. together. Yeah. And yet what we're doing is that we have these young single adult programs that really are be are these isolated programs that are kind of out there by themselves and we're not we're not building bridges with the home wards and, yeah. and stake president. And you're not saying there's a specific way to do that, but you're just saying make a connection between the family ward and the YSA. Talk bishop to bishop or stake right. stake president right. and say what's our plan? You right. know, how can we help each other? Because imagine in Utah or outside of Utah, you have a 17-year-old young man that you've been working with on pornography problems. Mm -hmm. And he's turning 18 and graduating and is going to go off to the young adult program. And you've never even met the young adult bishop. Yeah. How worried would you be about letting that young man go off to the young single adult program? 
The church handbook says that young adult can make the decision at 18. A bishop and a stake president should not be making the decision. Hmm. It is up to the young adult and to the parent to make that decision. So at 18, how scary that would be as a bishop and you love this young man and you don't want him to fall through the, the cracks and you want to make sure that's getting passed on. But it's so big and so large, you don't know this, the bishop. You've never met the bishop. Yeah. So you can see if there's not good communication like that, the program really can't yeah. going. And you have to have critical mass for the Young Single Adult Program or it's, it's yeah. not going to work. Right. So what did that communication look like for you? Was it a, a, a quarterly meeting or, or how did you facilitate that between the, the, your, your stake and the family stake? So I had several talks with our Area 70 to make sure that we were on the same page. And this was what he saw the same vision that I saw. Yeah. And we were in coordinating councils and we were training the stake presidents that were supposed to then turn around, train the the bishops. And these are all YSA stake presidents in your coordinating council? No, these are all, okay. these are all oh, gotcha. traditional stake gotcha. presidents, okay. right? I'm the only young single adult stake okay. president in that coordinating council. So I got 12 other stake presidents that are sending young adults to me. Gotcha. I got, we want to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay. And it wasn't until we did that, that we really saw great success with the young single adult program, because now it's me begging a bishop and a stake president, a home bishop, a home stake president to send me their young adults. And yeah. It wasn't very effective. But when the 70 says, this is the yeah. program we're going to work with, it worked pretty effectively. Yeah. So what we did is we had multiple ward missionaries, or I'm sorry, multiple ward mission leaders, and we would have them assigned to the different stakes that would funnel into that particular ward. So in, in our area, we had probably sometimes two to three stakes that would funnel into one young single adult ward. So we'd have ward mission leaders that would go to each one of those stakes. And the turnover of young adults was so high. This is where we would use senior adults, where we would have a couple assigned from each stake, not to go out and rescue, not to interact necessarily with the young single adults, but to be the bridge between the young single adult ward and the home stake, because they were consistent and they'd be there for a period of time. And, and they were the ones that really made sure communication happened and that we were consistent in that. So that was a very effective way. And, and I love this, that it wasn't that the bishop or bishoprics had to go out and, and connect with these family wards. You called your ward mission leader, made a part of that calling to build, build that bridge. So it's not one more thing that these bishops or leaders have no. to do. And you have all these return missionaries that have divided up their missions and areas. And I mean, this is, yeah, this yeah. is a perfect segue for them to do after yeah, their yeah. missions, you mm. know, that they're now going to divide up the three stakes and they're going to go and rescue. And, and now I've got a team of ward missionaries that now a lot of young single adult wards don't want all of the less active records in their ward, right? Because that's just more work for them. Yeah. But in our, our philosophy and my experience has been that the rescuing of young adults is what makes the young adult program so powerful. And that's what the brethren wanted. They want mm -hmm. that to happen. They're doing this to rescue young single adults. Yeah. So we wanted as many of those less active records in our ward as we can possibly get so that our ward missionaries were out trying to find them. And how many of them were married or moved or in the military or there's so much mess there to try to clean up. We cleaned up hundreds and hundreds of records that were just sitting there with no one to find. So that organizational part of it was, I think, a real critical part. And the rescuing was huge. And I was in a meeting, oh, probably towards the end of my time as a stake president with four area 70s who were talking to five young single adult stake presidents. And they said that one of the concerns that they had was that the brethren were not seeing an increase in sacrament attendance in the young single adult wards. And so they're worried if this program was really working or not. Mm. 
you know, they were consistently seeing 150, 200 people on sacrament meeting. Well, if we're doing all this rescuing and the point of the young single adult program is to rescue young single adults and help them come into Christ, right? If we're doing that effectively, we should be seeing these wards getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And so these five stake presidents said, well, we'll time out. Do you know how many people in that ward went on missions in this last year? We lost. Do you know how many of them went off to college that we lost? Do you know how many of them got married that we lost? So we're losing 40, 50 young adults every year and sacrament attendance is staying the same. Which means it's increasing. We're right? having huge success. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. If you're just looking at sacrament attendance, you're going to miss gotcha. that. So, yeah. but that was all in the rescuing. In our stake, when we were really functioning the best we could, we were probably, we were, we were getting 200 less actives returning back into activity every year. That was entire ward. Yeah. Every year. I mean, imagine if your homeward was doing that. Yeah. And that remarkable. was all focused on organizational structure. Area 70 is on the same page. Stake presidents are on the same page. Home bishops are on the same page. I've got adult couples that are bridging the gap between all of those. I've got a very effective word missionary program. And we're trying to rescue young yeah. single adults. So the way you saw it, I mean, you wanted as many of those young single adult records that you could get. Was that, was that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so and, and a lot of people that a lot of people would be scared with that. Because now you have like we when we did when we did this, when we were at our prime getting all the records, we would have some wards that would have eight hundred records in them and hundred and forty people attending church. Uh-huh. That can be overwhelming. How do you handle at the time home teaching, visiting teaching, but now ministering, right? How do you assign everybody? Well, we would just assign those that were coming to the to the church on some kind of you know, if they came once a month, they would have at the time a home teacher or now a minister that would be involved with them. And that other what is 600 people that we've got their records for? That was what the word missionaries were doing. They were out making visits and trying to clean up those records, first of all, and then second, trying to reactivate them. If we don't have our hands on them and we're not using those, who is? Yeah. I, I guarantee you no one is, if they are doing it, they're not doing it effectively because they're sending senior couples out to go visit those yeah. young adults. Bless their heart. <laughs> yeah. And so they're spinning their wheels and they're not very effective. Yeah. So to me, I felt like, someone's got to get their hands on those records and do something with them. Mm-hmm. And so it should be the Young Single Adult Program. And you just, you just own them, right? You just right. say, these are ours. Yeah. We're going to, this is our battle to, yeah. and, and I, like you said, the peer-to-peer is going to be more yeah. effective. And I tell my bishops, don't freak out when you got 800 records in your, in your wards because yeah. that scares them to death. Yeah. You still have your core that are showing up. We just have now a pool of people to go visit. Yeah. You know, our word missionaries are going to be plenty busy. Yeah. And if it takes us three years to get through all of those, great. At least, we got our hands on it. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, this is probably three podcasts uh, we could we could fill with this. But any, as far as anything else we need to mention, as far as the dynamic between the, the family wards and the young single adult wards, anything else about that dynamic? People are yeah. Pointing the out? last thing I would tell you, which is critical about the organizational thing, because you got to have the organizational structure. But then I'd like to take a few minutes if we can to talk yeah. about kind of the doctrinal stuff that helps connect these young adults. But if the organizational process isn't there, then then helping young adults connect with Christ isn't going to work. Because if I've got a small ward or if I've got 10 young adults come into things, that critical mass, it's hard to get people to show up. If someone is coming back for the first time and they walk into an activity with 200 people in it, it's an exciting place to be at, right? Yeah. If they show up, you know, and it's just low energy and low numbers, it's going to be hard to bring those less actors back into activity. But I'll tell you, the number one thing that we've got to stop is we've got to stop the emphasis of what people think the young adult program is all about. 
and you which know, is it's about marriage right that, yeah that's what <laughs> I, I, you you we laugh about that right right but when you get you talk to stake presidents and bishops and parents that's what they all think they all think it's is all about getting these young adults married and part of the regular, you know, the rest of the church. And that is the most damning thing that we're doing right now. And we have got to stop this message that the young single adult program is about getting them married because it's not. And if, if you've got, if you want graduating seniors to come to your program, can I tell you how many moms I have told me, I'm not sending my 18 year old daughter to the young adult ward because it's a meat market, right? Mm -hmm. And they just want to try to get them all married off. Or I don't want to send my young man who's going to be going on a mission. I want him to focus on a mission. I don't want him to be in the young adult ward to get distracted. And yet the best place for him to be preparing for a mission, can you imagine if I got a return missionary and an 18-year-old that are going out and visiting 600 less actives? What better preparation could you have for a mission, right? Yeah. So we have the wrong vision of what this is all about. And they're sick and tired of people talking about the marriage. They know. And I think for many of them, it's pouring salt into a wound. So they want to get married and they want to do things. And others, the timing's not right. And so we just got to stop that. And yeah. my biggest message, and I, would, I, was kind of, I was kind of brutal because I felt like with the young adults, if I didn't have the right leaders, then it would kill the program quickly. And so I, I would release people pretty fast because I don't have time to train and get you up to speed. I, you got to hit the ground running or I can't spend a year trying to get you training or in that year, you'll kill the young adult program. Hmm. Right. And so I'd have high counselors that would come and they'd give their talks and it'd all be about marriage. And I'm nope, you're not, we're not doing that. Hmm. What redeeming message is there to go out and tell less actives or even active young adults, Hey, come join this young single adult program because we want to get you married off. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. So what should be happening is the purpose of the Young Single Adult Program is helping young adults find Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the purpose. And forget about marriage, missions. Let's just focus on connecting them with Christ. And if we can do that, then guess what happens? More marriages automatically happen. More missions automatically happen. We'll get better marriages and better missionaries. Mm-hmm. And we just got the wrong focus. Yeah. And I think that scares the young adults away. They don't want to be involved in the young adult program because of this constant message of yeah. young adults. And as part of that, obviously, there's messages out there. Where people are, you know, encouraging it verbally or through through talks or whatever. But what are your thoughts as far as a lot of the activities where it's like you're almost like, OK, let's let's do some speed dating or let's do this activity and, and talk. And, hey, you know, she's cute over there. Have you thought of, like is that uh, is that Stop. along the same line? <laughs> yeah, and I and I have I have talked to a lot of young adults, and I don't I don't say this to try to brag or boast at all, but I've guesstimated that my time with young adults is I have probably had between eight thousand to ten thousand interviews with the young adults, and when we talk one on one and we talk about these issues, it's people aren't interested in that, and it's also a creepy thing. I'm just really like I'm just telling you uh-huh. that mindset has to change. And I do see it changing. I think if I, I, you listen to the brethren and what they're talking about, I mean, we're seeing more and more of this emphasis on connecting with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And getting away from this to-do list and this checkbox of all the achievements we're supposed to be doing. Marriage, mission, children. We got to stop pounding that drum of Somehow you belong, somehow you're righteous, somehow you're doing the right things. If you're married at a certain time and then you have to have kids at a certain time or you went on a mission or didn't go on a mission, 
And that's a cultural aspect you're talking about. Yeah, you're not talking okay. no, uh, no doctrine. Right? Of yeah. course, marriage is important. Yeah, yeah. Of course, missions are great. Yeah, yeah. But pounding that drum that somehow you're a good member of this church if you have those check marks, yeah. I think we got to be careful with that. Yeah, I have to refer to it as the weeds of culture that uh, kind of corrupt the, yeah. the goodness that's there. Right. The uh, what was I going to go to the um, so what what is your because I think when it comes to activities, a lot of leaders are coming from a very, you know, they want to help. They want to stimulate relationships and create a good time. So they come with this sort of passive aggressive approach that this activity will get people talking. If they get talking, maybe they will pass phone numbers. And if they pass phone numbers, maybe they, they will get married. Right. So what's your philosophy as far as activities go with well, first of all, the, the activities have got to be planned by the young adults. You know, sometimes what we do in these young adult programs is we make them glorified young men, young women programs, right? And the adults think they have all these great ideas and they're going to do this and that. The young adults have got to be doing the organization, the planning of what is cool, what's hip, what's fun, what would be something that would be you know, an attractive thing to bring people out? Because there are just a lot of cheesy things. And I think sometimes what we do is we think we have to entertain the young adults. And we live in a day and age where we're competing against the world. Good luck, you know, trying to entertain them at that kind of a level. So to me, yes, you have to have activities. You have to have things that are meaningful and not these cheesy activities that they can see through that, oh, we're going to try to get them lined up. Those things happen naturally at activities. They happen naturally with interaction with people. You know, we don't have to force something that's that's going to occur, right? So one, I would have them plan the activities and making sure they're doing things that they think would be enticing to young adults. And once again, the focus should be on things that help connect them to Jesus Christ, not so much all these activities we're going to do to make it fun. Mm-hmm. There's a balance. You have to have that. In my stake, I had so many, because I'm a strong believer that we use priesthood leaders incorrectly. We think we go to priesthood leaders when we have sin and we have to repent and we're in trouble. And that's typically where people will go to a priesthood leader, where in my opinion, a priesthood leader should be someone who's helping you connect with Jesus Christ. And if you're stuck, if you're not progressing, if you're not having spiritual experiences, that may have nothing to do with sin in your life. You're just not progressing spiritually. You should be talking to these spiritual mentors Mm -hmm. and having them help you grow and progress. That was the message we had in our stake. And so my schedule was getting pretty full because people were coming in typically to see the stake president. It's either mission, marriage, endowment, or huge problems, right? And so when I opened the door up to the fact that I want to try to help mentor people to find Christ, my executive secretary about killed me because my schedule is packed now. So I decided I was going to do a Friday night discussion once a month where we would just talk doctrinal discussions once a month on a Friday night. And my high counselors and my stake thought no one's going to show up for that. It's a Friday night. It's a Friday night. Yeah. (laughs) Are you kidding me? There's a thousand things to do. Well, we would pack the chapel every time we do that. And we would have incredible doctrinal discussions and, and things that they're struggling with. And what about this? And like real conversations, how do you you handle conversations about blacks on the priesthood and gay marriage? And we just got into some great, discussions. So that shows me the hunger and the desire for that kind of stuff. The world can't compete with that because we only have that. Yeah. We're going to put on some fun activity. There's lots of competition on the world. Yeah. You mentioned as far as, you know, having the young single adults plan these activities. 
this dynamic of sort of giving autonomy to that group where a lot of it can be a glorified youth program where they feel like, you know, I'm, I'm here to supervise sort of direct what, what we're going to do and, and you guys have fun. So any other thoughts as far as how to hand over that autonomy to better to the, the auxiliaries, the Relief Society, the Elders Corps? Yeah. I, to me, it's got to be collaboration instead of control, right? So as a parent, the command control style parenting doesn't work with this generation. You are going to kill the relationship with your children, right? And yet that's kind of the, what I grew up with, mm-hmm. is the command and control style. And so sometimes we use those still, those kind of those leadership experiences with the young adults where you truly have to turn this over to them. If I had my way, I would have had young adults on the high council. I would have had young adults in the bishopric. One thing we did is we caught, we released the senior sisters that were all married in our stake relief society program. And so I decided I was going to release them and call young single adults to serve as our stake relief society. And I got some feedback from that and counselors, people weren't all that excited about it. I got approval from my 70 because, you know, we felt like we had to get, you know, it was kind of outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And when I called the 70 up, his response to me was, why didn't you do that a long time ago? Mm-hmm. So I released them and then I called all young single adult sisters and they came to our coordinating high council meeting for the first time. And they're all sitting on the back row, 15 old men running the young single adult stake, right? I got four sisters on the back there, sitting there on their hands during the meeting. And I'm, I'm trying to engage them about halfway through it. A topic came up that they then responded to and it lit up those four sisters and they just sat there and looked at us and said, that's not going to work. This isn't going to work. You're doing this and you're pushing people away. And they took the next 45 minutes of the meeting and it was phenomenal to have them show us all this stuff we thought was so wise and wonderful for them to say, this isn't working and you're going to push people away and you're going to have this and that. And it was great to see yeah. them have that. They want to sit at the table yeah. and they want to contribute. And they, here's what just blows my mind. We have some of them are return missionaries that have had incredible experiences. Some of them are not return missionaries that are so mature and so deep in their thinking the Lord used young adults to restore the church. I think we probably can trust them to run a young single adult program, right? And so yeah. I, we just got to get out of the way yeah. and let them do some of that yeah. stuff, right? So, so so can you call a young single adult side council? Is that kosher? I, I'm probably on the blacklist at the church okay. somewhere because I called constantly <laughs> trying to, in the young single adult ward in, in our area, those words are so large that a lot of times you you could you could get you could call a third counselor in a bishopric, oh, okay. which is unique, right? Uh-huh. But that's allowed in a young single adult program because it's so big. But we were trying to do so many things. But one of the things that what I wanted to do before I got released was to be able to call that third counselor in the bishopric as a young single adult. Mm-hmm. I really encouraged my bishops to have either the ward clerk or executive secretary to be a young adult. So once again, in their bishopric meetings, they have that influence in their bishopric meeting. Yeah. But traditionally, it's the bishopric, it's the ward clerk, it's the executive secretary or old old guys. Yeah. And they're making all these decisions and then going to the elder quorum president, the relief society president, kind of telling them this is what we're going to do. Or it should be completely opposite. And now that we don't have high priests and elders anymore. Yeah. Tell me why we aren't calling Uh young adults for um, on the high council. I've had a lot of experience in Elders Quorum presidencies. I've had a lot of experience with leadership in the church. I will tell you without question, the best Relief Society presence I've ever seen 
the best elders quorum presence I have ever seen for young adults. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. And like you said, you were willing to take some of these questions to your 70 and say, what do you think? Is this, is this good? The envelope, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't hurt to at least ask for yeah. some of these and, things. Right? And more importantly, how powerful is it for these young adults to see that I'm their advocate? Yeah. I'm standing up for them and I'm saying, wait a minute, they can do this and they can do that. And why are we, and let's stop talking about marriage and let's stop talking about that. Imagine how well you can connect with a young adult when they start hearing someone of my age talk like that. Because now they feel like, hey, someone gets us, someone understands this, and someone sees a bigger picture. And finally, there's someone who's not talking about marriage all the time, or they're really focusing on the main problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's powerful. I thought I had one more thought around that. But, and uh, yeah, I was going to say that even even within the, the traditional context of having an elders quorum president and a Relief Society president that are generally young single adults, you know, just being more willing to hand over the, oh. the autonomy there, right? You have the keys as the bishop, but, you know, just give them, say, what, do you, what is it? What do you want to do? Let me give you an example of this. And um, I hope this is the direction you want to go because yeah, I really got a thousand things I could talk about, but I hope this is interesting <laughs> to people out there. But let, let me give you an example of giving them autonomy like that. When I called that stake young, or the, the Relief Society presidency as young adults, I sat down with them and said, tell me what you think the number one issue we should be dealing with is. And they came up with several issues, and, and, but they said an important issue was that there's a problem with young adult sisters and pornography, and we're not even talking about it. And they were right, because I was the stake president when they made the age change for sisters. Mm -hmm. And so I probably sent out my time with young adults, we probably sent out close to 400 missionaries, a lot of missionaries. And it was probably a 30-70 split, 30 young men and 70% sisters. So I interviewed a lot of sisters for missions. And I was surprised how common of a problem pornography and even masturbation were amongst the sisters. Do you think we're talking about that at all in the church? No, no way. Because in the church, it's a guy problem, right? And I don't, I'm not saying the church thinks this, but in the world, it's kind of like an okay problem, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of what you expect guys to be struggling with, but a woman to have a problem with that, it's horrible. And now if they have a problem with it, now they're going to a male leader to talk about it. Can you imagine how hard that is for them? Yeah. So my stake young adult relief study presidency in ward conferences would teach the ward relief society about pornography. You ask adult women in your life, your mom, your wife, others, when's the last time they had a relief society lesson on pornography, not how to protect your children, not what the problem with your men are, but with them, how they can combat pornography, how pornography works with women. How does Satan step in? The fastest growing group of pornography problems is not the largest group, but the fastest growing group, middle-aged women. Mm. So they went in and talked. And then I would stand up with the Relief Society president, the ward Relief Society president. I put my arm around her and I'd ask her, I'd say, how many sisters in your ward have come talk to you about any personal problems in the last six months? How many people, how many sisters do you think actually did that to the Relief Society president? Harleenium. Yeah. Right. Almost zero, I guess. <laughs> and I would say, listen, sisters, this is your leader. She's been called to help you. And if there's a problem with pornography or any problem, then you come to her and you talk to her. And we have this misconception in the church that as soon as someone starts talking about sins, what do we do? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to talk with the bishop. Right? right. We cut them off. 
And I would say, let them vomit, let, let, hold the bucket, yeah. let them vomit and talk to them and have a conversation with them. And then the relief study president, your next step is, you know, we probably ought to get you the bishop. Yeah. And you know how many sisters would say, I'm not quite ready for that. Is that okay? That's okay. That's okay. When you're ready. Then Relief Society president, I'm here for you. We'll keep talking. Yeah. And when you're ready, I'll walk you right there and we'll hold hands and we'll make that happen. Yeah. But when you're ready. And we just opened that door. Every time we did that on a ward con- conference, the Relief Society president would call me afterwards. And within that first week, say, I have had so many phone calls of sisters that just wanted to talk. Yeah. So you kind of kind of open that door. And, and yeah. this is what I love about young adults is they're very um, vulnerable. They're very open. And if you just create a safe environment for them to do that, yeah, th- they want to do it. Yeah, that's powerful. This is perfect. Ex- going back to your, you know, doctrine versus, versus culture is that you're not advocating that we, you can suddenly make a release study president no. a judge in Israel, yeah. but they can have the conversation and make a safe place so that at some point the bishop is that conversation is a little more realistic rather than just burying them in shame. And then the conversation never happens at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. how relieving is that for them? And then on, on the other side too, the other scorn president, to be able to go and talk to their scorn president, sometimes that's easier than talking to the bishop because this is the other culture that we've got ourselves into. How many young adults who are involved in serious transgressions in their lives, whatever they, it may be, you, you name it, don't want to go talk to the bishop for what reason? They're afraid of, yeah. they're going to get excommunicated. They're afraid oh, yeah. they're going to lose their membership. They're afraid some major thing's happening. And the council that I got when I was called to be the stake president from Elder Snow, who at the time was a president of the 70, he told 17 stake presidencies that were being called. He said, you cannot rescue young adults and then throw the book at them. I'm telling wow, you, we had amen. very few disciplinary councils in our stake because it was about loving and rescuing and connecting. And let's focus on that. And let's once again, change that, that traditional cultural thing that you go in and you're going to have some harsh consequence that's going to happen by going in and talking to, to them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess some people would say, well, you know, we're, we're being a little bit too soft on them. Right. But so how would, how would you approach, uh, you know, someone comes in, maybe they, they are having sexual relations with a significant other or whatever. Like it's a, it's not just, oh, I, I view pornography. It's something like, whoa, like this is significant in your spiritual progression. What was your general approach to that? Yeah. Let me share a story that I think would answer that. I had a return missionary or I had a, I had a missionary that made it seven days in the MTC. He wasn't at my stake. He went through his home stake to get his call and left. He had a serious girlfriend all throughout high school and come to find out he was having sex with her up until the night before he left. Hmm. He went to the MTC, lasted seven days and then confessed. And of course, you, you know what happens with that, right? He's going to obviously get sent home. That's the right thing to do. So let's walk through what happened to this young man. He, um, he had to talk to his branch president of the MTC. When he confessed to his branch president, he had to talk to the MTC president. Then he had to talk to a general authority. Then he had to talk to his parents. His parents, and I wish this was an exception because this happened, I saw a few times, sadly, that his parents, when they were told what was going on, refused to come pick him up at the MTC because hmm. they were so mad or embarrassed. I don't know what. So his brother attending BYU picked him up and drove him back home up to you know, Northern Utah. He lived in a small community. And so what do you do? What's the first thing the brother does? He has to take me to the stake president. I know the stake president. He was one of those that I worked with, loved this man. But I can understand maybe not handling that correctly because the conversation there was, 
We talked dozens of times about your girlfriend, about this exact thing. I warned you it was going to happen. You lied to me. You know, I, you know, and the conversation kind of goes in that direction. So you can imagine how this young man's feeling right now, right? Yeah. Then he leaves the state president's house and he comes home and he's the youngest of six siblings, all of which are married. They're all in the family room waiting for him. He walks into, I don't know, the walk of shame and the mom's in the corner crying. And the mother's first words were, what are we going to tell everybody? Hmm. An hour later, the bishop comes up, knows that I know the bishop, also a great guy. He sits down with him in a, a totally sincere effort. I'm not slamming priesthood leaders here. It's just these are the difficult situations right, we the, face. How yeah. do we handle that? Coming back to answer your question, how are you going to handle serious transgressions? Because we're talking about a 19 year old young man here. Wait a minute. This isn't Rob Farrell, 50 years old, been in leadership most of his life, uh, lots of experience. We're talking about a young man who's 19 years old. A little different scenario, right? Mm -hmm. The bishop shows up and says, okay, Jake, here's all the things we got to do to get you back in the mission field. I get that. Not the time to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. This is on Friday. So Sunday now, he's gone through all of that. Imagine the shame. I mean, it's just overwhelming. He's in the church parking lot on Sunday, deciding whether or not he's going to walk into the ward or not. Now, the inactivity rate of missionaries that come home early is off the charts because of this exact problem. He's sitting in the parking lot with the experience he's had so far with priest leaders and family, and he's bawling his eyes out in the parking lot because he's like, I don't know how, what am I going to say? What's the reaction going to be? What are people going to think? Right? So he decides not to go to church and he gets in his car and drives off. He's driving off another young adult who knew, knew him and knew a little bit about his situation, texted him right then and said, listen, I think I know what's going on. I heard you're home. Why don't you come down to the young single adult ward? Nobody knows you. Nobody knows the situation. You just need to come to church. So he does that. And I happen to have the most amazing bishop in that ward who just put his arm around him and loved him and welcomed him and didn't, like I say, know any of the situation. He decides to transfer his records to the young single adult ward. So now he's been home two weeks and he's now coming down to meet with me because we have some things to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can edit this because I, I am not trying to bash priesthood leaders in the least bit. Yeah. But we have to learn how to do things differently. And hopefully we get to this doctrinal idea here in a minute. Yep. But yep. I'm driving down to the stake center. I get a phone call from his stake president and said, okay, I understand Jake's transferring his records into your stake. And, and I want to make sure you're clear of what happened. And he's giving me his detail. And here is what he said. And this is free to be edited. But he said, President Farrell, I will allow this young man to come to your stake. Well, first of all, he can make that decision himself, right? I will allow him to come to your stake if you promise me one thing, because I feel like the young single adult stake is way too lenient and just kind of brushes things under the carpet. I want to be assured that we're going to have a very significant disciplinary counsel for this young man. Really? That's the focus? That's what's the most important thing. How about if we just forget about all of that and think about a 19-year-old kid whose world's falling apart, who's going through probably one of the most shameful thing any adult could possibly imagine going through, right? We don't do that to the woman that's having adultery in the ward, you know, announce it to everybody and pray to her. I mean, this is horribly difficult, right? So I'm, I'm a nice guy sometimes, and I just say, sure, president, you know, and just, uh, off we go. So- I walk into my office and here comes Jake. Two weeks, he has told this story to 
branch president, MTC president, general authority, stake president, family, bishop, my bishop, and now me. Nine times. Who I don't care if those are nine elder Hollands. Who wants to tell that story nine times, right? Yeah. So he comes in, he's sitting there with his arms folded like he just does not want to be there. And I said, Jake, how many people have talked to you about getting back in the mission field? And he tears up and he says, that's all everybody's talking about. And I said, Jake, how would you feel if I told you that I could care less if you went back in the mission field? And he, he kind of laughed and he looked at me and this is exactly what he said. He said, well, you can't say that you're a stake president. And I'll say, Jake, I'll go a step further. Jesus Christ doesn't care if you go on this mission. And that got his attention. He looked at me like, what? I said, Jake, the problem isn't law of chastity. The problem isn't you coming home for your mission. Here's the problem, Jake. You have never felt the arms of Jesus Christ wrapped around you. You've never felt the power of the atonement. You've never felt connected with Jesus Christ. We're going to forget about all this other crap. And we're going to focus on you connecting with Jesus Christ. And you know what? We can forget about a disciplinary council for now. Let's just get our, on our feet. and Let's not worry about that kind of stuff. And let's just move forward. What do you think his reaction is? Wow. He is crying so hard in my office. It took him a few minutes to gather his emotions. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I hear people talk all the time in the church about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have no idea how to do that. Can you really help me do that? Yeah. So we take the next three, four, five, six months working on that. Did he have some restrictions? Of course he did. I would never in a million years say, here's what you should do in this circumstance, right? Because every single person is different. I would have two people that had the same problems and one might have probation and one might not, right? I could have two people have the same problem and one might get disfellowshipped and one might not. But my goal is what's the most important thing here? I want that kid connected. Kid, I shouldn't, that's disrespectful. I want that young man to connect with Jesus Christ. And then let's watch what happens after that. Yeah. So he had some restrictions and we worked together for an entire year. And he learned how to connect with Jesus Christ. He had phenomenal spiritual experiences. And after a year, what do you think he decided to do? Went on a mission. Went back out. That's what everyone says. And you didn't mention it once during that whole year, I bet. <laughs> he came back to me after a year and we're trying to figure out what the next step is because he knew that's the time frame we had to work with. Him and his girlfriend had been morally clean and had worked together on learning how to connect with Jesus Christ. He said, President Farrell, it's been a year. I love this young lady. What would you think if I didn't go on a mission and I got married in the temple instead? Oh. What do you think I said? Great. No way. That's terrible. <laughs> she should wait for you. You know, once again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go on missions. I'm not yeah, saying no. we shouldn't have disciplinary councils. Please be careful with what I'm saying. It's yeah, yeah. individualized and it's more about the connecting of to Christ than it is about anything else. And if we're focused on that, then Jesus Christ is going to guide me as a priesthood leader on what's the best thing to do, right? Yeah. I'm not putting him in a box and, oh, we have to do this, this, and that. So that's what he decided to do. And the end of that story is pretty sad to me because about two hours later, I got a phone call from his mother who was yelling so loud at me. I could have put my cell phone down and walked into their room and still heard her telling me that I'm the worst stake president ever. How dare I tell her son not to go on a mission? She's calling the first presidency and I'm, uh, she's going to get me released. And I just thought, oh, man, 
of course, all year long, I want him to get back on a mission. Of course, I'm trying to, you know, help him get on his feet to make the best decisions for him. Yeah. Right. And so to me, I hope that's a long way of answering your question, yeah, yeah. but that's so helpful. You know, but I, I, I had another sister that came in that had over a hundred sexual partners, hundred sexual partners. And she's coming in desperate at the bottom of the barrel. You tell me what's the best thing to do. When she's sitting in your office, what are you going to do? Are you going to give her a lecture about the law of chastity? That ain't going to work. You're going to give her a lecture about pregnancy, venereal disease? That ain't going to work. Are, are you going to, you know, strip her of all of her rights, so to speak? No. The very first thing I got to do is figure out there is so much false doctrine in that woman's life. I got to help her figure out what the false doctrine is, and we're going to start killing it. We're going to start destroying it. We're going to start ripping it out of her life because the more we can do that, she's going to feel connected with Jesus Christ. And these problems are symptoms of a deeper problem. Mm -hmm. And and this is what drives me crazy about pornography. And you and I have talked about this a lot in the past. We are pounding the wrong drum on this. We have got to stop using words like addiction. You take a 12-year-old boy and you say he's addicted to pornography once again, I'm not saying addiction doesn't exist. I'm not saying it's a it's a it's an issue. It's a problem. But we use that word, especially in the church, way too liberally, and we put these labels on these young men, and then we are just focused on focused on behavior, 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 instead of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Pornography is a doctrinal problem, and it's not a matter of how many filters we're going to put on, how many, how we're going to spy on them, how we're going to lock this down, how we're going to do this and that. It's a doctrinal problem. Yeah. So we can't throw the book at them. I think we got to help them connect with Christ. Yeah. I think that's so helpful, you know, because in the handbook, you know, that chapter six, it talks about discerning counsel. You know, one of the reasons is to save the soul of the transgressor, but sometimes we feel it's our duty to punish the soul of the transgressor. But what's it going to take to save that 19-year-old boy to make sure? Because, I mean, he is at a pivotal point. And right. you talk about these early return missionaries. I mean, they, they're they at a crossroads. And you can either push them one way or the other. Right. And really, it's it's up to you. And I would always, if there was a disciplinary council, I would always explain that properly. That let me explain to you what the disciplinary council yeah. is all about. This isn't about where you want to take away your membership. This is about if it's a ward council. This is about a handful of men in your ward who are going to go to bat for you. Mm-hmm. When you tell your story, you're going to have five mentors in that ward who will do anything and everything to help coach you, mentor you, help you connect with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why would we be afraid of that? Why would we be scared to say, oh, I don't want to go in there and do that? Because th- we have somehow created this culture that if there are significant problems, they're going to get excommunicated. And I think we had three stake councils the five years I was there all ended up in excommunication. One was for murder. Okay. I think that's probably, you know, we probably have to have a disciplinary council for that. One was involving pedophilia. And I can't remember what the other one was, but I mean, we're talking significant issues that of course, that's the level that we need to be talking about. Right. We had lots of ward councils, of course, but at a stake level, we didn't see a lot of those because it was more about, we can't throw the book. We have to rescue. Yeah. And I think if we had that message more, we'd have more young adults been coming forward and saying, man, I need, I need some help. I, yeah. I need, I need to learn how to connect with Christ better. Yeah. And, you know, going back to as far as, uh, you know, doctrine versus uh, behaviors that I think, you know, in a, in a church, which there's, there's a reason for it, you know, with, with temple recommend questions and, and whatnot, it can, we can sort of get into this stage of, 
behavior focused rather than doctrinal focused. So what did that look like interview to interview or week to week in lessons? Like how do we avoid slipping into that and just, okay, we're going to have a pornography lesson, you know, we're going to beat with this behavior stick and stop it, stop it, stop it. How do we avoid slipping into focusing on behaviors rather than doctrine? Well, first of all, the bishop is so busy. That's the problem. That's the number one problem is that he doesn't have time to develop, you know, multiple interviews and, and really develop those relationships. So especially in the young single adult program, the bishops, counselors should be interviewing just as much as he is. Hmm. And they've got to be at the caliber of a bishop. And of course, if if there are transgressions that come up that might need to be pushed to the bishop. But sometimes what I would do is I would go through the repentance process with them. And then I would look at my counselors and figure out who'd be the best match. And I'm going to say, okay, they're going to mentor you doctrinally for the next six months. And then we'd have a program in place on how they would do that. And so that takes time to develop that. I believe we kind of got to get out of this idea of they come in to confess or repent. Then we have to jump right into, okay, here's the consequences. Let's go through the repentance process instead of just there's time for that down the road. Mm-hmm. Let's just make sure they feel safe. Let's make sure they're feeling the love of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure they feel that they want to come connected, back. Right? right. Because to me, I have asked this question a thousand times. What is the purpose of Satan? And we're not clear on this. I hear all kinds of answers. I don't think I've ever heard anyone doctrinally give me a definition of what the purpose of Satan is. And you can think of lots of different things. Let me can you can edit this part, Kurt. Oh, okay. my <laughs> test. <laughs> what, what do you think is the purpose of Satan? To frustrate the plan of salvation. Okay, but how does he do that? Uh, That's a consequence of what he, but how does oh, he do okay. it? Oh, uh, okay. He does that through temptation. Okay, but how does he do that? How does he get you? How does he tempt you? Um, through thoughts, maybe? Or? Okay. So, I mean, if, I, I'm putting you on the spot, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? This... And then when I do it in front of people, I, I'm always putting on the spot. Sure, sure. But, if we don't really know what the purpose of Satan is, how do we really truly help people? Because I would be so bold to say Satan could care less about sin, care less about sin. Sin is the consequence of what he's trying to really do. Gotcha. Just like partaking of the fruit in the tree of life is the consequence of what Christ is really trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we tend to focus on the sin all the time. And there's that classic quote by Boyd K. Packer, right? that the study of doctrine will change behavior faster than the study of behavior will change behavior. And what do you think most people think that means? Focus on behavior. What do they think the study of behavior is? Uh, the study of psychology. Oh yeah. yeah. And right, they think right. it's counseling. And I would recommend young adults to counseling and therapy, which are you kidding me? How are we not embracing that? that yeah. yeah. That has got to be used way more than we're using it. And I would have parents call me up and quote that to me and say, Mike is not going to therapy. The doctrine will solve problems, but but we don't finish the whole quote because the rest of the quote that Elder Packer says is that the focus or what what is it? How does he say it? He says that the focus of unworthy behavior leads to more unworthy behavior. Mm. So he's not talking about psychology. He's not, he's talking about the focus of sin and that's where Satan wants us to focus. So you tell a young man, you can't go on a mission unless you're clean from pornography for three months. So what do they do? They white knuckle it and they're clean for three months. Then we send them on missions and they think that they got the pornography problem controlled. They're not maybe as tempted in the mission field. It's a lot better in the mission field. And they get home falsely thinking, I've got this, you know, controlled. And they get back home and within days, they're back in the pornography problem Mm -hmm. because we never really helped 
what the core problem is. And if you look at Doctrine and Covenants, section 10, verse 63, I think the Lord gives you the purpose of Satan. And I'll, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting it exactly, but it's that, uh, it's that uh, Satan will stir up the hearts of men unto contention through points of false doctrine or wrestling of whatever, but essentially false mm-hmm. doctrine. So his purpose is contention as a result of false doctrine. So if I'm going to help somebody, I got to help them figure out where the contention in their life is. Because you know how many young adults feel like they're not good enough? They're not going to make it. I'm, you know, the Lord's disappointed in me. I'm a failure. I'm a return missionary. I got these problems. How can the Lord trust me again? My mission was a waste because now I'm back in the problems again. I mean, we can just go on and on and on. But the biggest problem is they just don't feel like they're good enough because that creates contention. So I get contention between two people, right? If you're a Utah fan, let me tell you, no, we're going to have contention. BYU fan. All right. Because, okay. you know, I get contention between people, but how do I have contention for myself? Yeah. And I don't think we're addressing this. That's so so true. I have contention like, am I a lousy father or a good father? Maybe times a day I think that. Am I a, a good son of God that can be trusted or am I a disappointment to God? The biggest question of that is, am I worthy? Am I not worthy? If you don't have the answers to those questions, then Satan has you stuck in contention. If you're stuck in contention, how good does that feel? Horrible. Yeah, it's awful. And it's so hell. if yeah. I get you in contention, how easy is it now going to meet me to lead you to temptation? How easy is it going to lead me to, to lead you to, yeah. to depression? It's simple. You don't even have to try. The adversary doesn't even have to try. So then as a priesthood leader, yeah. I come stepping in and you get a problem with pornography. And now what am I going to do? Oh, well, we're going to start giving the lecture on pornography. And here's all the things we got to do. Well, pornography is not the problem. The contention is the problem. Yeah. And until you address the contention, you're never going to change the pornography. You might scare them enough. You might manipulate and shame them long enough that they'll do it for a period of time so they can go on a mission or go get married in the temple or whatever. But you're not really helping them with the contention. Yeah. And so to me, that's where I would start all the time is where is the contention? Where is the false doctrine? And we're working on that. Yeah. And then it takes time. And that's the problem. We're too rushed. We don't have the time to get to all of that, right? And if we can get people to feel connection to Christ, because that's what he's, so it's contention versus connection. Yeah. Christ wants connection. Satan wants isolation, contention, hiding, all of that, right? And so to me, I got to help anyone, but especially young adults, where is the contention in your life? Because let me give you an example. I can't even tell you how many times I thought I was the worst stake president in the whole church. I mean, I, I would come home and I'm just think I've got to be, how can they... They're going to call me up and say, we found you. You're released. You know, I I did not think I was a very good state president. And I don't think I'm a very good dad sometimes. And and that just constantly is what? Making me feel I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it. Blah, 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 blah. The definition of worthy. How many people in this church do you think could stand up, give a one sentence definition of what it means to be worthy and a scripture to support it so we know they're doctrinally correct? Are you going to put me on the no. spot again? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I, I mean, I once yeah, yeah. had time to think about right, it, right. you would nail it. Sure, sure. But just boom that fast. Right. I would suggest we don't know that very well. But it's a word we throw around a lot. Oh, there's, how about temple recommend questions? Do right. you consider yourself worthy and of the house of the Lord? Was that the hardest when you were a bishop? Was that oh, the yeah. hardest question for people? That's the one question people got hung up on the most. Absolutely. So the why? It's because they did not know the right definition of worthy. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the single greatest cause of contention. Because if I'm constantly thinking, am I worthy enough or not, you know, am I worthy or not worthy? If I don't have the answer to that, I'm instantly in contention. Yeah. 
And so let me give you an example of that. So as a stake president one night, I had a long night. I had a young man that I didn't know at the time, but came into my office high on drugs. I've been working with him for a year. Came home early from his mission, major family problems, just really a tough situation, totally consumed with contention. So he comes to my office. He is swearing and yelling at me. He's standing up in front of my desk. I mean, he's yelling so loud. Everyone in the building can hear him. I've been there. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, my young adults waiting for me on the hallway. Don't think it's me yelling at him. But he's like dropping the F-bomb and stuff. He grabs my scriptures that I have so well marked up. He grabbed my book of Mormon that is, I'm telling you, so precious to me. He picked it up and he threw it at me. And then he stormed out of my office, swearing all the way down the hallway. Well, the next young adult comes walking in. You know, I go out the hallway, try to lighten it up somehow. You know, I don't know what I said, but the next young adult walks in and she looked at me. I've been working with her for a long time on contention. And she said, that didn't go very well tonight. President did it. I said, no. And then she looked at me with total seriousness and she said, it's about to get worse. I said, what are you talking about? And she pulls a letter out and she says, here's a letter to the first presidency to have my records removed from the church. It doesn't work. This gospel just makes me feel horrible and beats me up and I feel constantly terrible. I'm done. So she walks out. Then the next young adult comes walking in. Tim was a return missionary. He'd been home probably three or four months struggling with a lot of chastity problems with his girlfriend. He comes walking and sits down in my chair, just starts crying. Like, Tim, what's the matter? He looks at me and he says, uh, she's pregnant. Well, that's my night as a stake president. Mm-hmm. Young adults that I had been putting my heart and soul into, and I felt like I failed all three of them, yeah. right? So how easy is it going to be for me to walk out of my office that night thinking, I'm a terrible stake president. I'm instantly in contention. So now I travel over here to my dental office because I'm so busy as a stake president. It's midnight. And I'm going to sit here watching or writing in charts to get caught up. And I turn the TV on. So I'm flipping through channels and I come across an old rerun of Law and Order. And it's (laughs) all about rape and murder and horrible things, right? What do you think the chances of me watching that TV show, what do you think it's going to be if I'm in that mindset that I'm a terrible stake president? Do you think I watch the TV show? Uh, no. Oh, Kurt. Oh, yes, you, you do. Oh, come on. <laughs> so I'm just thinking like you, you already feel bad about yourself. Maybe you're like, well, I'm going to totally watch the TV show. Okay. And you've got and, so much to do. And so you're just like, the, yeah. the question you have to answer is why would I watch the TV show? Because being a stake president is a big deal. I mean, I'm determining if someone goes on a mission or not, gets married in the temple, their church, their membership in the church. I messed that up. Yeah. Man, I, I feel like I'm personally responsible for that. Yeah. So if I've concluded that I'm in so much contention that I'm a lousy stake president, that's a big deal. Watching a TV show that's inappropriate compared to that, not a big deal. Not a big deal. So do you gotcha. see how simple it's simple? Yeah. I watched the bad TV show. So I go home that night and I feel so bad about watching the TV show. I don't even say my prayers. I climb into bed and watching the bad TV show actually confirms I really am a lousy stake president. Mm. So much shame, just that he's piling up, the adversary so is piling up. what do we do? I wake up the next morning and I say to myself, I will never watch a TV show like that again, ever. I will never do that. Lord, I promise I will yeah. never do that until two days later when the young adults yell at me again, or I have a bad night, right? And then I'm uh-huh. back in the cycle. And so if I think the problem is watching bad TV shows, I'm never going to change the problem. Yeah. The problem is I'm stuck in contention. I think I'm a lousy sake president. Yeah, the self-worth, right? Well, being a son of God, a daughter of God's a big deal. And if I think I'm a disappointment to him, looking at porn, that's nothing. Doing this, that, that's nothing. And then I go to a priesthood leader and what do they pound? Behaviors. The behaviors, instead of helping me figure out where are the problems with contention, 
Wow. And to me, that was the single greatest thing that I would train my bishops in my stake is you got to be focused on how do we help them discover false doctrine? How do we help them connect with Jesus Christ? And there's always time for disciplinary counsels if we need that. There's always time for that down the right. road, but let's not start with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so true. So, you so know, true. I had a young adult that came in to talk to me. She's probably 28 years old. And um, me, tell me if you don't think this is a common problem for young adults. She said, I was raised in a strong family, but I could tell you, I don't think I ever really had any great spiritual experiences growing up. Do you think that's a common issue with youth? Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Okay. So then I get out of call or get out of high school. I'm in college. I'm trying to build my testimony. And everyone tells me the best way to build my testimony is to do what? Read your scriptures. Go on a mission. I'll go on a mission. <laughs> so I go on a mission and I feel the pressure that I should do that. You know, so I, I go on a mission and I get called to a really hard mission. And the language was tough and the work was dead. And I had a really tough mission president. Think that happens? Yeah. 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 So she said, I came home for my mission and I, you know, learned some things and I had some experiences, but it wasn't the experience I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So now I'm home as a return missionary and I'm still having problems. What's happening to the contention? It's growing. It's getting deeper and deeper. So then what do we tell her to do? Oh, well, you know, you need to get married. So we put the pressure of marriage. Yeah. The next behavior that'll fix it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then, and how much pressure do we have on young adults to get married? How many young adults are getting married too fast, too quick? They're not going through the process. They're just thinking, I just got to get this done. I got to do this, right? Divorce rates among young adults is higher than most people think, right? So she gets married and she kind of probably rushed into that. It was probably a little too quick. She gets married in the temple and eight months into her marriage, she finds out this guy's addicted to to, uh, video games. He's playing eight hours or so a day Hmm. and he starts slapping around a little bit. And so she's like, I'm done. So she walks away from the temple marriage and she said, I'm done with the church. She walks away. Hmm. She went out into the world and she tried everything the world had to offer. And she did that for a couple of years. And now she's sitting in my office and she asked this question. She said, I could find no joy in the church. You think we sincerely have young adults, any adults? I mean, we have a lot of people, I think, in this church that would say they have a hard time feeling joy in the gospel of Jesus or in the church, right? Mm-hmm. She said, I couldn't find joy in the church. And so I went out, tried the world, couldn't find any joy there. So President Farrell, where do I find joy? That's the kind of conversations we got to start having, right? Yeah. Because that's real. And how, 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 do you, how do you answer that? Yeah. So I looked at her and I said, this is going to sound crazy to you, but we have to find joy in being lost. She looked at me like, what are you talking about? And this is where I think we got to start using the doctrine to help connect people. Because let me just back up. What is the definition of worthiness as we talked about? You know, what, how can we nail that down? Do you think God defines that somewhere in the scriptures? And, and wouldn't he want us to know that? So in section 10 is probably one of my favorite sections, but section six or 10, 63 is the contention verse. And then 67, I think you get the answer of what it means to be worthy. And then 68 is even more of a powerful scripture. And that scripture says that Christ just gave you his definition of worthiness. He's just, he's just explained what his doctrine is. The next verse he says, and I'm probably not getting it word for word, but essentially it says, if you add anything more or less than this, then you're not of me, you're not of my kingdom, and you're against me. Well, pretty clear. Kurt, could you imagine if Jesus Christ walked into this room and looked at you and said, Kurt, you're not part of this kingdom. You're not part of me. 
and you're against me. Yeah. Ugh. That would rip your heart out. Oh. And I, and I oh. want to think that that seems kind of harsh. That almost doesn't sound like the Christ that I know. Why would he talk like that? Because what he is saying is if you change my doctrine, if you add to it or you subtract from it, if you change my doctrine, you now are believing in false doctrine. If you're believing in false doctrine, you're going to be stuck in what? Contention. contention. Yeah. If you're in contention, Kurt, can you feel my love? No. Kurt, if you're not feeling my love, can you help other people feel it? No. If you're not it's helping impossible. other people feel it, are you building my kingdom? No. That's a softer way of saying it, but I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. So don't change my doctrine or you're going to get stuck in contention. And so what's his doctrine? Verse 67, it says, behold, this is my doctrine. It's five words. It's not a list of 14 pages of all the things we're supposed to do in the church. It's repent and come unto me. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Right? So Tim, returned missionary, got his girlfriend pregnant. Could Tim be worthy at that moment? Are there, here's the thing I don't, I struggle with doctrine in the church. We make it black and white. You either have charity, you don't have charity. You have faith or you don't have charity. That's what Satan wants us to believe. Doctrine is progressional in nature, right? My obedience grows over time. My level of charity grows over time. My faith grows over time. Let's stop making it so black and white. And let's help people progress in whatever principle of the gospel we're in, right? So it's progressional in nature. So if I am repenting and progressing, is Tim worthy to go to the temple after telling me his girlfriend's pregnant? Probably not, right? right. Is he worthy to take the sacrament? That's going to be an individual situation. Maybe for a period of time, he's not. But I will tell you, is that young man repenting? Yeah. He is in my office and he's scared of death. He's going to get excommunicated. Return missionary. He is, that's what he's scared about. Mm -hmm. We're not going to excommunicate him. That's not going to happen. And if it is, I'm telling you, priesthood leaders, you've got to rethink our approach because it's about connection right now. Tim's repenting. He's coming and talking to me about it. Is he coming unto Christ? I'm asking Tim these questions. He's looking at me like, I'm not repenting. Did you hear what I just said? You know, I'm not coming into Christ. I said, wait a minute, Tim, you're talking to me and you're trying to figure out a solution. You are repenting and coming into Christ. So Tim, here's the deal. You and I are going to kneel down and we're going to pray to our heavenly father. And we're going to stay on our knees until you feel the love of Jesus Christ, wrap his arms around you and tell you it's okay, Tim, we're going to get through yeah. this. You're repenting, you're progressing. Therefore you're worthy to feel what? My love. And that's where we got to be helping young adults with, right? Yeah. Let's make that connection because Tim has that experience and he gets up off his knees. Let's go to war. Let's figure this out. Let's write, you know, because now I've got Christ at my side yeah. instead of contention, feeling like I've disappointed him or I'm a failure or I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. And love is, is moving that process forward. Right. So back to this sister that's telling me that she can't find joy anywhere. And I tell her, you got to find joy in being lost. And she's looking at me like, well, what does that mean? And I, I tell her the story about my little girl. We were at Disneyland. She's probably six, seven years old and we lost her and we are freaking out. Oh, we were I've been screaming, there. Screaming, yelling. There's nothing like that feeling. Yeah. I'm running through the crowd, knocking people over, you know, and I come, if you know Disneyland, I'm making the corner right around the teacups. I'm heading towards the carousel and off to the side, I see my little six-year-old and she's off to the side. Everyone's just walking past her. She has got these huge crocodile tears yeah. just dropping on her shirt. Her lip is just trembling. You could not have the appearance of a greater example of being lost than seeing that little girl's face. Yeah. The second she heard her daddy yelling her name and she turned 
and she saw dad knocking people out of the way, <laughs> running to her as fast as I could. Yeah. Second she saw that, what do you think happened? You couldn't describe the look of joy any better than that. Yeah. So I got to help young adults. My job as a priesthood leader is I got to help you hear his, he's crying, he's yelling for you in the crowd. I got to help you see that he is pushing people all the way. He's yelling, he's coming for you. Let me help you connect with Christ and let's forget about the sin. Let's forget about all the challenges we've got. Let's start figuring out what's the source of contention and let's start killing that with correct doctrine. And this sister is just having an amazing spiritual experience, right? We get done. We talk for an hour. We get done. She's walking to the door. She's opening the door. She closes the door with her hand on the door handle there. And she looks at me and she said, president, we haven't even talked about all my sins. I said, we have plenty of time to talk about that. The most important thing that happened tonight happened. You have finally felt that Christ is out there yelling and, and calling for you and wanting to be in your life. And then she said an amazing thing to me. She said, but president, I have never had a stronger feeling to repent than right now. Can I do that? Do you see the order of things? Totally changes. Because she felt the love of God. So now she wants to change. So yeah, cancel my next appointment. Let's sit down for another hour and just vomit it out. Let's get it out. Right. And now it's a totally different approach that, okay, you're still going to commit those sins because this isn't going to stop tonight. This pattern of contention is so deep in your life. You're going to continue having these problems. Do we talk like that? Do do I tell the young man who's coming in with pornography, you're going to continue looking at pornography and it's okay. I'm not giving you permission to go do that. I'm not telling you to go do that. But the reality is that's not going to change until we start pulling this contention out. And it's going to take some time. So you got to be patient with the process, right? And let's go through that process. And it's going to continue. Because what happens is they come in and repent and then they mess up that night. And you think they want to go talk to the bishop again? No. You know, so... Anyway, I'm talking way too much. No, that's but powerful. That, Strong that's what I think doctrine versus behavior, and especially in the young adult program, you got to have the organizational structure there. And then we got to have the right priesthood leaders that know how to help these young adults connect with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. Well, we, this has been fantastic. We've probably gone on more. And I think there, there needs to be a part two okay, and three to, to some of this, but as we wrap up, let me just ask you, I, I love how you started with saying that you see yourself as an advocate to young single adults. So my last question is your advocacy and being an advocate for young single adults. How has that made you a better disciple or follower of Jesus Christ? I have probably learned more about discipleship from young adults than anywhere else in my life. Because to me, I see so many of these young adults that are so hungry to find Jesus Christ. And we have failed in helping them do that. And we focus too much on this long list of things. So I steal all kinds of insights from young adults all the time because I'm helping them turn to doctrine so that when they study doctrine, they'll have their own spiritual experiences and they're coming back then to report that to me. And I have found this with my own children. So, for example, We don't have time to share another story, but an example of, I would use the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I would, I would say, okay, we're here's three or four miracles. Which one sounds appealing to you? And I'd have them pick a miracle. And then I'd have that young adult go back and answer three questions. The first question was, if you were that person in the miracle and Jesus Christ laid his hands on your head, how would you feel? What would that feel like? I want you to come back and I want you to tell me what that would feel like. Second question is, 
We don't have the rest of the story. What happened to all these people after the miracles? Wouldn't you love to know what the rest yeah. of the story of these people? <laughs> so I want you to think about it. if that was you, how would that impact your life? What would you do differently as a result of that? And the third thing I would do is I would say, I want you to come back and give me personal application of how that miracle relates to you. See, I'm not solving the problems. I'm not telling them they got to do this or that, right? They are feeling the love of Jesus Christ. So they're now asking me, what can I do? Okay, I'm going to have you assign this miracle. I'm going to have you read this. Instead of me just jumping into, you got to read the miracle of forgiveness. You got to do that. And I'm just giving this checklist of things to do, right? And so they come back to me. And I would look at them and say, I'm still on that. I'm using that in a talk. That is so good. That insight is so powerful. And to me, that's what I have found probably more than anything else is using that doctrine because it helps both of us, right? When the Spirit's present, I'm learning and teaching, you're learning and you're teaching. And that's has changed my impact as a father. That's changed my impact as a leader in the church. It's changed, it's changed my impact as a, do- a doctor or a surgeon in my dental practice is that ability to focus on what's the contention and then letting people go and try to figure that out with some mentoring and some guidance of how to do that. And then we come back together and we learn from each other from that. So that's probably the greatest takeaway I've had from my experience with young adults. And that concludes this throwback episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Remember to go check out the additional subject libraries in the Core Leader app by becoming a recurring donor at leadingsaints.org donate or text the word lead to 474747. leadingsaints.org donate or text the word lead to 474747. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.